Did you see what she was going to do? We know the Christmas story, don't we? We know the story of the shepherds. So we'll close in prayer. A couple of things to announce. <clears throat> For those of you who know, Ta and Louise, we farewelled at the 8.30 service. They're going to the Cook Islands. They leave on Saturday, I think it is, going for about four years. Uh, Tar feels called by God to uh, do some Bible training, training to be a pastor, um, probably amongst his own people, but yet to be worked out. So we prayed for them and farewelled them this morning, and that was nice. Um, and some of you will know Tom and Joy Ford, newly married. They'll be at our evening service, and we'll be farewelling them tonight as well. They've moved across to, I think... I'll get the name of the church wrong, but it's a Reformed Baptist church. I think it's called Hope Baptist Church, perhaps. So that'll be good to um, see them again tonight and to pray for them and to bless them. Next Sunday morning is a special service again for us. It's going to be a baptismal service. And Eric, you is going to be baptised. If you haven't been baptised, you've been thinking about it and you wanted to do it, it's not too late. You have uh, till five minutes after this service to let us know. Let us know as soon as possible and we can arrange that, I'm sure, between now and next week. Uh, Josh is at HSBC. He was he's preaching this morning. Is he here? You are. Is Josh here? Where is he? Wave. Ah. Uh, scratch everything I was going to say about Josh. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to see you back. How'd you go? Did you have fun? Last Sunday we had a, a very good members meeting in which we elected three associate pastors and two of our elders, you'll know them. We elected Josh to be the associate pastor here but serving at Hertford Street three days a week and Josh is also the new communications technology person here two days a week. So as of the 1st of January he'll be fully employed. Brendan Cottam, we called to be an associate pastor here. Brendan is not well, he's a bit sick at the moment, but he'll be full-time here, starting again pretty soon, but um, effectively inducted early next year. And Charlie Harrison, who was with us this morning with his wife Elena in our 8.30 service with the Kids Church program. Charlie is also coming on board. And we also re-elected, reappointed Sonny Wong and our very own Ewan Yen. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Both Ewan and Sonny are going to take some time. I think Ewan's going to take about 12 months uh, sabbatical. Uh, we've worn him out over the last six years that he's been serving very well and very faithfully. He will continue in a very minor capacity of dealing with some significant pastoral team issues, but generally he'll be absent from our meetings. But please continue to pray for him, Selena and the family as he rests up. And Sonny, likewise, is going to take a study break about three or four months from about May, middle of the year. David Wang, Wang is currently on leave from the pastoral team. He'll be back about then. So some good things have been happening at the pastoral team level. Um, what else do I need to tell you? Two things. Carol's is next Sunday night. And if you haven't signed up yet, if you haven't volunteered to do something, can I encourage you to have a look at what's available to do and jump on board? We still need a lot of people to help us make that night a significant night and it's not untypical for us as a church to wait till about the last couple of weeks before we get everybody recruited well we're not panicking not yet but five minutes after the service we will be so 
If you can have a look and if you possibly can to volunteer and step up and assist in many of those very important roles. And please be in prayer. There are leaflets available for you to take and to hand out or to distribute on streets or whichever way you want to particularly be involved in doing that. And then today we start, next Sunday we'll do it again, and then on December 18th we're going to have a meeting in the afternoon uh, for those amongst you who might be interested in actually transitioning from here to Hertford Street. From about the 1st of February, well, in the first Sunday in February, we'll induct Josh as the pastor at Hertford Street. And so we'll induct him here, commission him here first, probably at our Focus Sunday. And then on the following Sunday, relaunch the church, uh, induct Josh and the team of people who might like to go and join him uh, there of revitalising the work of the church. Hertford Street is air-conditioned. <laughs> has lovely people in it who are very excited about Josh coming to be their new pastor and also very welcoming. They have a, a lovely sense of community. They know each other, they support each other and they care for each other. Um, and they are just looking to God and trusting him that he'll use, certainly Josh, but anybody else that comes on board. A couple of our groups have already gone. Lou and Annie, Louie and Annie have been there most of this year. Michael and Daniela Jones have taken themselves across. They're there at the moment. Um, and so perhaps God has been touching you, perhaps suggesting that you should think about that. If that's the case, then continue to pray about it. On December 18th in the afternoon, we'll let you know some details later. Um, we're going to get together with those people who are expressing at this stage without obligation but expressing uh, initial interest and just to see whom God does bring together. I do suspect that some folk from this congregation particularly, not only but particularly, will join Josh uh, and his future wife Angela at Hertford Street um, in the very exciting work that's going to be there. And of course Josh will be involved here in terms of being on the pastoral team as well as the comms techs thing. Okay, so that's an exciting development. So please be in prayer about that and see what God does and says. Um, let's pray. Father, as we again look at this very familiar story, particularly as the, at the shepherds, we ask that you might be pleased to communicate your truth to us, that we might listen like them, hear accept it and respond to it that we might be led as passionate followers of Jesus into the experience of adoring the Christ who came at this time Lord we ask this in his name and everybody said do you have a favorite Christmas character don't think I do you know some people like the wise men some people like the shepherd some people like Joseph some people like Mary I don't know anybody who likes Herod I asked the craft people this on Thursday. One of them said to me, they like the dog. <laughs> what dog? And then as Leslie Batten pointed out to me, if you know a foot rots flat fan, then who do you think looked after the sheep after the shepherds were going into Bethlehem? <laughs> it was a little sheep dog. Another lady said that she liked the donkey. I wasn't going to tell her there is no donkey. It's not in the Bible. Even though, is there a donkey over there? No donkey. Yeah, there is. Don't look. Um, 
it, that, that's a symbolic nativity scene. There is something wrong with it. In fact, there's several things wrong with it. I'll give an ice cream to anybody who can point those out to me before the end of the service. So good luck. No, oh, I shouldn't have done that, should I? Because now you're going to spend all the service looking and wondering. There was once a little girl and she misquoted John 3.16. You know John 3.16, but she said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. His only forgotten son. But her misquote is in fact becoming the reality, isn't it? Christmas is changing focus. It's no longer about Jesus. I mean, it is about Jesus. But in the world out there, it's not. It hasn't been for years. It's been over-commercialised. And even where it's not over-commercialised, it's become a family time. It's when families get together. It's when we hang out. We buy gifts and we do things together. And the focus is on family, not on Jesus. And, of course, the blend, the balance would be, as followers of the Lord Jesus, is for us to bring the focus of him into our families. And families are certainly important and it's great to celebrate with them. And we will be doing that this year uh, also because I think I've told you our daughter Kate and her husband Dan have left England. They're no longer living there. They're now living in Sydney. So all of my family is now, or all our kids and their kids are in Sydney. So we'll go down Christmas Day, Christmas afternoon and have Christmas dinner with them um, after our services here, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Jesus is the reason for the season. We know that, and that's certainly what we will be celebrating next Sunday night at our carols. But it's remarkable in this story, and I know it's very familiar, but God sent this message to the shepherds. We've heard it so many times. At one point in Jewish history, in Israel's history, the shepherds were an esteemed occupation. Abraham was a shepherd, Jacob was a shepherd, David was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd. The prophets talk about the Messiah coming and uses the analogy of him being the good shepherd, the great shepherd. Jesus certainly picks up on that theme of calling himself that. But other sources outside the Bible reveal to us, the Jewish Talmud, for instance, reveals to us that the shepherds by the first century, and maybe a little bit before that, had become quite a despised occupation. Absolutely necessary they needed the shepherds to tend the sheep. They had to have a certain skill because they had to be unblemished sheep for the sacrifices. Um, and we know those sheep were grazed in the foothills of, uh, of Bethlehem. And it could be quite coincidental, ironic, if you like, that the very shepherds who were nurturing and shepherding the sheep who were heading for the temple for a sacrifice were the very ones that God appeared to. The same ones that the people despised, didn't associate with them. So just to give you this bit of background and a feel for it before we make some points about what do we learn possibly from this story. The shepherds in the first century were at the bottom rung of society. They were just above lepers, outcast, as we sang in the song, rejected by society. Why? Because they were considered ceremonially unclean. They were dirty. They were smelly. They were always on the move because they had to move their sheep to where the pastures were. And so they couldn't fulfill the, the Jewish rituals of washings and they couldn't attend the religious services and ceremonies because they were always on the move with their sheep. The sheep were very demanding. They became a group of people who became distrusted. They were a bit sticky with their fingers. People lost things when the shepherds were around and they were blamed for it. In fact, they were so 
mistrusted, untrusted. They were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. They were considered to be liars, thieves. They swore like whatever. Bad language was second nature to them. They were ready to fight like the ex-administrator is, just at the drop of a hat. And so they were a despised, rejected group of people, and yet favoured by heaven. It's remarkable. We ought not... That's one of the points, I think, of this story, that the message comes to the shepherds, this despised group of people. Not unlike God to do that. This could very well be our first point and a very important point. It's not uncommon for the Lord to minister to the down and out, to the outcast, to the lonely, to the despised, rejected by the world. God accepts, regenerates and changes, cleans up. He's certainly been doing it all throughout biblical history. He chose Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, not Rome, not Athens. He chose peasants as the parents, Joseph and Mary. And so who does the invitation come to? Well, not the king, not the prophets, not the priests, to the shepherds. They receive the invitation to come and to observe to take note. They had this wonderful, wonderful experience and they were very obedient to it as we will go through in just a moment. And so that which God did then with the shepherds, you know, that's exactly what Jesus was going to be doing throughout his ministry, wasn't it? Pursuing those who were the rejects, the broken people, the flawed people, the people who knew that they were no good. They couldn't do the religious stuff, uh, but God came pursuing them in the person of Jesus. It's what he did with the shepherds. It's what he continued to do through his ministry. It's what he invites us to do. Of course, he also spoke to the wise men. They're at the opposite end of society. They're at the upper echelons. They're the wealthy. They're the educated. They were the ones admitted to the kings. Um, they were the college university professors. They are the intellectual elite, the ancient astronomers, the, you know, the magi. And probably is where our word, not just magician, comes from, but also our word magistrate comes from. They were very influential people. God called them as well. God calls everybody. And I think it's Lady Huntington, who was a very wealthy lady. She gave thanks to God because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God, when he chose you, there were not many rich. And she said, I'm glad that it says not many and that the text does not say not any who are rich the rich are called the rich are invited but like the lord jesus said it's hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle it's easier for a camel to do that than it is for a rich person to get into heaven so god came to the shepherds well what do we learn about these lowly despised you know shepherds to whom the angels came and there's, there are just lots of questions that I have that I can't answer, but it's just very interesting to race through it. I remember a cartoon from Leadership magazine a long, long time ago. I don't know where it is now. But it's got this group of shepherds sitting down and they've got their hands warming at the, book, the bonfire at that night, with the bonfire, at the fire that night. And one of them is complaining to the other one and there's a group of angels just standing behind them about to invade. Just before that happens, the angel appears. This guy's shepherd says to the other shepherd, nothing exciting ever happens around here. 
Nothing exciting ever happens around. And that's what their life was like, I'm sure. Lonely, out in the dark, out in the wilderness, working hard. And suddenly that fire becomes a bright light. It's like being under the helicopter search heli light or the police helicopter or something as bright like that, I imagine. And it's one angel who has this message. There's no need to be afraid. And they were. I'm the bearer of good news. It's good news for you, but for more than you. It's good news for everyone. This very day, over there in Bethlehem, David's town, your saviour was born today. He's the Messiah, your sovereign Lord. They didn't expect that news. It was pretty unsure for them. And then the angel says to them, here's proof. You'll find a child wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Before they could respond, well, the Bible says there was a multitude of angels. The Bible doesn't tell us that anybody saw it, you know, like in Bethlehem. Suddenly there's this bright light out in the horizon or something. Ah, excuse my shirt and tummy. Um, How many is a multitude? 50? 150? 1,050? A lot. One commentator says he reckons they all turned up. (laughs) Millions of them. What are they doing? Singing to God and about God and glory to God, but singing about us and peace on earth to those with whom he is well pleased. Remarkable. That God, the high and sovereign one, became one of us. Didn't become an angel, became one of us, came and dwelt among us. And then before they can do much else, those angels who had suddenly appeared to them disappeared. Suddenly, slowly, disappeared. How many times do they sing the song? Don't know. They leave suddenly or slowly. Whatever it was, when they had gone, the shepherds were certainly impressed and they said, come on, let's go. And they do. And they find out it's exactly like the angel had told them. Typical of God. It'll always be exactly like he tells us. How far did they have to go? Don't know. Not far. How long would they be gone for? Don't know. Hours? Did they leave somebody in charge of the sheep? Probably. Or was it the little foot flats dog? But they were determined to go, and go they did. Was it difficult to find the place? I mean, Bethlehem was crowded, we know that, at this time because of the census. How did they find them? These shepherds are men. Men don't ask for directions. It's true, isn't it? How did they find them? Don't know. Not told. We're just simply told they found them. Just like the angel said. They found Mary and Joseph, the baby wrapped up in that, and they then told Mary and Joseph exactly their experience we're out in the field this angel came this group of angels and they sang and they said this child was the christ the savior the messiah the lord which is wonderful news for mary and joseph who hadn't heard from god for months she'd had the angelic gabriel angel gabriel come and tell her the news and she accepted that and joseph had the dream and the angel speaking to him in the dream but then silence for months And now God is confirming it through this wonderful, these lowly despised shepherds. God confirming his story to Mary and Joseph of what he was on about. Well, let's look at the shepherds very quickly. There are about six things, all starting with the letter A. Everybody go, oh. What were they like? Well, number one, and I was going to leave this point out, but I sensed the Lord saying, no, no. I want you to say that. So this is for us or for some here this morning particularly. The first thing that I noticed 
was that they were attentive to their jobs. Maybe that's a word for somebody here, that you need to be reminded to be attentive to your career. They weren't neglecting their duty. It's while, in fact, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, guarding their sheep at night from wolves and bears and wild animals or from thieves or whatever, guarding their sheep, that God came, that God spoke to them, that God visited them while they were at work. In fact, when you look at most of the characters of Christmas, the wise men were at work. Zacchaeus, uh, Zachariah was in the temple doing his duty at work. Priests who saw Simeon, who saw him come in at work doing their thing. So God can meet you at work. God wants you to focus, if you follow him particularly, to make sure you're doing your job properly. God knows where you are. He knows where you live. He knows what you do. He can come to you. And perhaps he does, and perhaps he has. And he's been talking to you, like he did with his shepherds. Just like the shepherds, God will come to you as you are. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to be all religious. You just need to be hungry and available. You don't need to pretend to be better than you are. Just get on with doing what your job is, with what how you were made, with doing what you do, and do it to the best of your ability and honour and glorify God through your work. And let God do what God does. Be open to God speaking to you at work. First point. I'm not sure who that's for. But if it's for you, then that's what the Lord wanted to say to you this morning. Second day, they were afraid or awed, if you like. It's more on the negative side of the awed. They were terrified. They were scared. When God does come, when God does visit us, usually with angels that we ever read of in the Bible, people tremble. Frightened. Is this the end? That's what it would be like if Christmas never happened. That when God comes, when we see God, when we appear before him, we'll be trembling. But Christmas has come. Jesus has come. And because Christmas, it's now good news, great joy for all people. Because of Jesus and our faith in him, it makes all the difference in the world. We can now come into his presence boldly, fearlessly, because of Jesus. And he gives us this great warm welcome. He's a good, good father. And he loves us. And that's demonstrated for us through Jesus. So they were attentive at work. They were afraid when the angel came. But they are also accepting of the message, number three. Don't be afraid, the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy, mega joy, maximum joy. And it's for you and it's for all people. That's the superlative. It's, there's good joy, there's better joy, and there is the best joy. That's the one. I'm bringing you that one. This incredible communication, and it's for all people. I love this parallel. If you think about the shepherds and the wise men, uh, the shepherds are near, and the wise men are far. Near and far are invited, and all in between. The rich and the poor. The educated and the illiterate, probably. Jew and Gentile, male and female, young and old, short and tall, black and white, brown and yellow, red and green. I don't know if there's any green people. 
Why are we all invited? Why is this good news for all people? Because we're all the same on the inside. Like we had in our first service with our kids' church program. All have sinned. We're all the same on the inside. We're all fallen short. We're all flawed. We're all broken. And the Bible says, 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's us. They accepted the message. And also notice, the message is not just for all people, but it also needs personal application. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. It's for everybody, but it has to be personalised. It is also for you. As Corrie Tam Boom said, if Jesus Christ had have come and he had have appeared and died for a thousand times for everybody else, but if he never died for me, then I am still lost. Simple application, but it has to be personalised. Jesus died for me in my place as my substitute, so now I can be made right with him. Deeply personal, one-on-one. Number four, they acted on what they heard. This is where we can trip up. We, as we follow the Lord Jesus and read our Bible and we get to know a whole lot of really exciting truths and stuff and we're blessed to have it. But if we stop there, if we don't follow through with action into our life, then we are certainly falling short of God's intention and God's best for it. They acted on the message that they received. Verse 16 in Luke says they hurried off to find the baby and the mum, as the angel had said it. Come on, they were saying, let's go, hurry up. Did they have to organise themselves? Did they leave somebody, the youngest, perhaps there to look after the herds of sheep, the flocks of sheep that had gathered together? Probably. They weren't irresponsible, but they did hurry off. How far did they have to go? Don't know. Over the hill, down the road. What time was it? Well, it says night. The angel says today in the city of David. And this is at night. And we're not told what part of the night it was and we're not told how long they stayed, but we are told that they went quickly to get there. And when they searched for the child, they found him. You see, now this is the point. They acted on what they heard. They seek him. And this is a biblical principle. All who seek will find. Jeremiah 29.13 says exactly that. If you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Deuteronomy 4.19 says, 4.29 says the same. The Lord Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Seek. It's almost like, it's not totally correct, but it's almost like God is waiting to see who is going to be seeking him. And he responds to that. It's like the prodigal father. The prodigal son's gone off into the distance. The son comes to the end of himself. Or he's returning. The father is looking and goes to meet him. It's a bit like that. But of course, what is true is the father is already doing that by his spirit. He's already out seeking and touching, inviting. There's a remarkable story. It'll take me a few minutes to read it to you. It's out of uh, the Southern Baptist Church journal called Life, Stories of Their Missionaries. They, like we in our country, have missionaries serving secretly in Muslim countries. Here is one remarkable story. You may have heard this before. It's a couple of years old now. This is about a young man named Omar. Omar was raised in a strong uh, Muslim family and he was forced to go to the mosque and obey all of the rituals. Um, but inside he was deeply hungry to know God, to know God personally. 
and the mosque and everything else was not satisfying him. He often cried out at night with tears in his eyes, he says, and said, God, I want to know you. Please talk to me. One day, Omar met a man named Bill on a bus. They eventually became close friends and over weeks, Bill eventually got to the point of thinking it was safe to say to Omar that he was a Christian. And he shared that with him and started talking about each other's faiths and how they were different and so on. And then Bill challenged Omar by saying that he could know God, but he could only know God through Jesus, not through Muhammad. Bill urged Omar to read the New Testament to investigate the claims of Christ. Omar writes this, Bill told me to open my eyes and my heart. He said, God is not limited, my friend. He made you, he will show himself to you. Ask him. I went home with my heart racing, a storm in my heart. I was so accustomed to following a culture, a ritual, I knelt down and I prayed. Bill helped me to, you know, examine more of the Quran, examine more of the Bible, examine other religious books as well. And then he gave me the names of some Muslims who in fact had become followers of Jesus, Christians. And they said things like, brother, we were once in darkness too, but now we are God's children. And Omar said that he couldn't eat and he couldn't sleep. And so Bill said to him when he saw this wrestle, this internal turmoil going on for him, this restlessness, he said, Omar, I think you've read enough. I think you know enough. I think it's time for you to challenge God. Listen to this. Find a quiet place, close the door and kneel before God. Ask him to come to you and do it. Firstly, in the name of Buddha. See what happens. Do it in the name of the Hindu gods. See what happens. Do it in the, names of, in the name of Muhammad. And then do it in the name of Jesus. See which name he answers. Now, that's not a process that I would recommend anybody follow. It's a little bit like what the Mormons say, isn't it? Nonetheless, providence of God, God's doing this stuff amongst particularly Muslim people. Late one night, Omar says, I did it. I washed my hands, I washed my face, came to my room, closed the door, I knelt at the window. I knelt before God, I put a chair in front of me like he was going to come and sit in it. And I said, God, all of the years that I've prayed to you, you know my heart, I want to know you. I need to challenge you. Please talk to me. If you are the God who created me, I ask you to come to me in Buddha's name. I waited. No answer. Then I said, I ask you to come to me in the name of all of the Hindu gods. If that's the way you want me to worship you, I'll worship those idols. I waited five minutes. I waited ten minutes. Nothing. No answer. Then I started praying in the name of Muhammad. My heart was heavy because I was always, I have such respect toward Muhammad, the holy beloved prophet of God. I told him, all these years I've been praying to you through Muhammad. This time has now come, uh, come now for me to ask you if Muhammad is the anointed one. There were tears in my eyes. I waited 10 minutes, I waited 20 minutes, I waited 30 minutes. No answer. Then somewhat unwillingly I said, if you want me to pray in the name of Jesus, if he's the real anointed one, then I ask you to come to talk to me. I didn't have to wait 30 minutes, Omar writes. Right at that moment, I felt like someone had walked into my room. The hair of my body stood up. I felt from my feet to my, uh, uh, to my head, feet to my head, that somebody was touching me. I heard a voice saying, Omar, 
I am Jesus, your Lord. I love you. Do you want to know anything more? Omar just fell down like Thomas. My Lord, I trust you. You're my Lord from today. All these years I've been worshipping God and he never answered. Today you answered. He said, I didn't sleep that night. Such joy filled my heart. I'd never experienced anything like it before. I told Bill when I was baptised after that. And then I've been the recipient of God's mercy and grace. To this day, I continue to follow Jesus. If you seek him, you will find him. It's an incredible story of God's grace and how he does come to people. Like I said, it's not the process that I would use or recommend, but it's what God did then. That's what the shepherds did. They went seeking and they really went seeking to check it out. The angel said that. Let's go and see. I like that about this story. God tells us things, reveals truth to us, and he is not disappointed when we use our brain to examine it and to check it out and to find out, is that true? But once you know it's true, well, then God does expect us to be obedient. He does expect us to follow through. And that's what these guys do. Once they found out this was true, just like the angel had said, baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, Mary and Joseph told them, they are now the managers of a message. And that's exactly what they do. Those who have heard need to tell those who haven't. We've heard. We need to tell those who haven't. Carol's is a great opportunity for us to do that. It's not the only way, and it's not the only opportunity, but it is a way, and we certainly need you on board to assist us in that. Their message focused upon the message the angel had given them. They spoke about the angel, certainly in the songs, I would imagine, but they spoke about the child. He is the Christ. He is the Saviour. He is the Lord. That's our message. You focus on Jesus, about him. So question to you, has God spoken to you? Are you doing? What is there that you need to do about it? It's not enough to hear and understand. You need to be obedient like these guys. And so finally, number six, they, well, number five, they adored, adored him. They returned to their jobs, just like we will after Christmas. But they weren't the same on the inside. They never wrote a book about it. They didn't go on a speaking tour. There was no launch of a shepherd's story in a famous ministry or YouTube clips. They just told the people they came across. And if you think about it, did they tell the people on the way back like was at dawn and people were up around and they were telling people then? Did they tell people the next day, over the next few months that Mary and Joseph are there in Bethlehem, did they keep coming back and visiting and telling people? If these shepherds were looking after the sheep who would be sacrificed in the temple, as they took the sheep up to the temple, did they tell the priests? This is what we saw. This is what we heard. There is a child in Bethlehem, the Saviour, the Christ, the Lord. They told people wherever they went the wonderful message. That's what we need to do as well. We need to be attentive at our work, but attentive to God and expecting God that he might turn up at work and use you in these sorts of situations and occupations. Situations. We need to accept the good news of the message that it's for us. 
We need to adore him. We need to tell others. We know all of that. The significance, two things and then I'll close. The significance of these shepherds is that they are an independent corroboration of the truths of Mary's son, that he was the saviour, messiah, lord. That's what God had told Zachariah, what he had told Mary, it's what he had told Joseph, as I said, months before. And then silence from heaven. Long journey to Bethlehem, silence. Failure to find decent lodgings, silence. And then there was the birth. All the crowded people around, but it seems that they were alone. No one to help. The sun sets, night falls, and the shepherds come, corroborating the story of who this child is, exactly what God had said to Mary and Joseph before. Application to us. We don't have the star like the wise men did, and we don't have the angels like the shepherd did, did to guide us to the Lord Jesus. But we do have a book, the Bible. And in the Bible, Peter tells us that the scriptures are like a light or a lamp shining in a dark place. And Peter counsels his readers, we would be very wise to pay very close attention to it. Because this book offers us the same invitation to come into a relationship with the living God, into his very presence through Jesus. So as we think about the shepherds this morning, we can reflect upon our work, we can reflect upon our relationship, we can also reflect upon our experience that we have the scriptures, we need to be reading them, learning them, applying them, doing them. The shepherds at least remind us of those truths. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are loving towards us, accepting us in Jesus. If you can send the most important message to people like the shepherds, then Lord, you can also do it with us. Thank you that you accept us through Jesus, even when we don't measure up, even though we're flawed and sinful. Lord, we do need your forgiveness and cleansing. We ask that you might not only save us, but deliver us from our own independent selves. We acknowledge that you are Lord. Help us to live under your leadership. Lord, we open the door of our hearts today. We bow the knee. Help us to follow you passionately. Lead us in all of your ways and give us the courage to share the news that we have experienced. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for his honour and for his purposes. Amen. Amen.